This is The Art of the Hookup, your straightforward guide to a successful sex life. I'm Georgie Wolfe, an Aussie escort and total hookup enthusiast. Welcome to episode 27. Are you a people pleaser who hides your sexual feelings for fear of offending others? Sex coach Jordan Hackett shares his experience with nice guy syndrome and how he learned to be respectful, kind and honest while staying in touch with his sexy side. Before we get started, just a reminder that this podcast is adults only. And with that said, let's get into it. Hi, this is Georgie here. I'm a writer, sexual adventurer and independent escort from Melbourne, Australia. My mission is to talk honestly about all the stuff you need to know to have a great hookup. And by that, I mean finding the people that are right for you, negotiating amazing sex and walking away feeling good about yourself. So we're all familiar with the stereotype of the nice guy, right? That straight bloke who bends over backwards to do favours for women and expects attention in return. I'd like to introduce you to another kind of nice guy, someone who hides their sexual needs, feelings and desires for fear of offending or hurting others. Jordan Hackett is a sex coach and sexological body worker, and he's also a recovered nice guy of the latter variety. In this episode of the podcast, he's joining us to share his story and talk about the benefits of healthy, respectful sexual expression. Thanks so much for joining us, Jordan. I'm super excited about the chat we're about to have. Yes, thanks heaps for having me on, Georgie. It's um, feeling really exciting and it's feeling quite um, integral to the work that I'm doing in the direction that I'm going in. So it feels like the nice guy is really someone that I'm wanting to work more with. So it feels exciting mm. to be opening him or them up way more in this process. This is totally something, this is the kind of thing that I absolutely love digging into. So I'm really excited to unpack this with you. But before we get stuck into the juicy stuff, um, did you want to just talk a little bit about um, like who you are and what you do in this space? Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, I'm a sex coach, a men's sex coach at the moment and a sexological body worker. Um, so I work online and in person doing private coaching and body work. For people that don't know what sexological body work is, it's an incredibly broad and transformative modality that trains the practitioners to be able to work with people's bodies. Um, our sex is a physical act a lot of the time and I think that traditional sex therapy takes a cognitive approach and so having people that are trained to work with the body to actually help clients explore pleasure places, explore shame, explore conditioning that's held inside of their body in their physical structure is a really powerful way of um, integrating change and creating growth in people's lives. So I, I love that modality. It sits at the core of everything I do. Um, <clears throat> I'm also in the process of writing online programs. I've done a lot of in-person workshops and I love the, the workshop and group work space. It's been a huge part of my personal journey um, and a really integral piece in what we're talking about today, but in all of my sexual development. So I'm a workshop facilitator as well. Um, yeah, and I'm based here in Melbourne. So, Are your workshops in Melbourne only, in person or online as well? Um, a mix of both. So I don't have anything right now happening in Melbourne or online, but I've, I've run both workshops online via Zoom and in person and they both have really, both platforms have really amazing benefits, I think. And I intend on doing more of that in both locations. So, yeah. Awesome. Okay. That's really good. Um, it's really nice to hear you talk about this stuff, especially like sexological body work, which we've talked about a little bit on this podcast before, but it's kind of like this hugely underrated thing that not many people actually know about. So it's yeah. really cool to get you on and just talk about how amazing it is. Um, and you never know, we might have some opportunities to dig into that later on, because I'm sure that this stuff comes up in all your work, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it, it's very common and present in a lot of people's experiences. Right. And the the reason I came across this is because I was just like, um, you know, doom scrolling on Instagram as you do. And I think I just randomly hit follow on you at some point. You just popped up because clearly the algorithm knows what it's doing. And it was this video of you talking about um, being a nice guy or like recovering from being a nice guy. And I totally thought it was going to be about the whole, you know, entitled like nice guy who gets mad at women type stereotype because that's a kind of a thing that that is around but actually you were talking about this whole other thing and I'd love to ask you to tell um tell our listeners a bit about that a bit bit about where you're coming from around 
you know, what is a nice guy and what's your experience with that? So my, you know, my experience as a, as a nice guy is, comes from what I believe to be like quite a um, well-intentioned place. And I think, you know, a lot of people's <laughs> actions in the world come from deep down a well-intentioned place and land in a very different way, um, right. are converted in a very different way. And I guess sexually, like, I felt like I really learned to be a nice guy from my dad in many ways, like as far as my sexual being and my relational being. And um, the context of that was like a man who grew up in a Catholic household, deeply Catholic, one of seven sexes, you know, like full on not to be seen or talked about anywhere. Masturbation is going to lead you to hell. So, you know, like that, and I didn't grow up in that, but, but he did, you know. And so his lack of teaching anything else brought me into a space where I believed that, my sexuality could hurt people if expressed openly, basically. And so my nice guy reality was the process of me trying to make sure that I didn't come across as too sexually confident, that I didn't ever push my, what I would perceive as pushing my desires onto women or making them feel uncomfortable with just expressing myself or being myself. And so I was constantly, I think, in this process of unconsciously kind of suppressing and managing my being and who I was in the world to make sure that people didn't feel uncomfortable around me. And so I'm basically a- like you being any sort of sexual or having a sex drive or any sort of sexual being at all equated being being threatening or hurting other people? Yeah, I think both consciously and unconsciously in, in my experience that that's what I'd formed. Um, and it came a lot from I think like me looking around the world from a young age and looking back on history and seeing the impact that men had had on women in particular and children, but also other men, and how capable we were of, of doing harm, how capable my gender is of doing harm to others and how much they have done harm and how determined I was not, how determined I was to not be those individuals again. Um, and so I swung to the other end of the spectrum. I was like, I'm going to play it safe. And as we'll talk about, the process I found was that that wasn't going to serve me either. <laughs> Right, it's those extremes. Like I'm kind of what this kind of makes me think of is there's this very extreme position at the other end for some people, and I say people because I kind of feel like this might be more complicated than just a dude problem. But let's get into that in a second. Totally. At, at the one end, sort of going, you know, um, being completely unaware of the the of when we hurt other people and just rampaging around and doing asshole shit and never owning up to the fact that we're hurting other people because, that, you know, maybe we just don't empathise with them, that sort of stuff. And then at the other end there's this kind of being so afraid of hurting someone that we're afraid to do anything, uh, that we're afraid to express ourselves or express an opinion at all. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it's been a funny experience for me because I've, I've grown up in quite an alternative family and alternative reality, health-wise, education, like everything, but sexually not and relationally at the beginning not. And so I had this experience of being quite a like free being, quite an expressive child and like mixing with heaps of people and different cultures and stuff. But when it came to my sexuality, it's like it would all just go and just stop. Like, and I'd just be tight and tense and constricted. And I, I literally noticed that experience come up when I'd felt feel attraction for someone. You know, in my teens and early 20s, I'd be walking around the world and I'd be like, yeah, I'd have confidence issues at times, but I'd be like, oh, yeah, I can interact with people. I'm a confident individual. I'm a mature young man, blah, blah, blah. I can do this. And then I'd be like, oh, you're attractive. And all of a sudden I'd feel like I was three inches tall and they were this like, you know, sexual goddess basically up on this pedestal that I could never reach because I was just like so, yeah, dis- disabled in my sexuality really, yeah. Isn't it, isn't it a shock when we, we're sort of getting through life and we hit adolescence and then we suddenly realise all the shit that our parents, even if our parents were amazing, like no one's parent is perfect and all our parents are carrying their own sexual baggage and then we hit puberty or we hit adolescence and suddenly realise that some of that shit has rubbed off on us mm-hmm. and that yep. we're, not, we're not quite there yet, that totally. there's stuff that isn't working. Yeah, yeah, it's full on. Yeah, right, and a scary position to be in for you. It sounds pretty like that's a pretty overwhelming kind of feeling you're describing there yeah I think it was and you know the thing that the thing that countered that and allowed me to have good relationships was me 
going through a process of building enough trust and safety with individuals to begin to know that me expressing those parts of myself wasn't going to hurt or damage an individual. And so the pattern that I fell into a lot of was I'd kind of friend zone myself with women and then I'd like, and that, you know, that isn't completely true of all my relationships. Like I expressed attraction and stuff still, and I had good communication skills. So I managed to kind of tread my way through it. And my internal experience was more intense than my external one probably. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it meant that I would like start in that kind of friend zone often. And then I would build enough connection and closeness and mutual understanding of one another that they would know who I was on a deeper level so that I could trust that when I come out with this seemingly ugly truth that I had sexual desires, <laughs> it's like, oh, they're not going to run away or they're not going to be hurt, you know, like they're, they know that I'm a good human being inside so they're not going to be damaged by my sexuality, you know. like. Fuck, I swear a bit too. Sorry, I didn't warn you about that no, before no, we started. No, cool. no, I was going to ask you, am I allowed to swear? <laughs> so there's my answer. Oh, I've said some things on this podcast. So it's like, it's like you know, I've got this dirty little secret that I have to tell you and now that we know each other and I feel I can trust you, I'm going to sit down and come out with this really shameful thing and hope that you, um, you know, hope that you can handle it. And for some people it's like, you know, I like being pegged or I think I might be bisexual, but actually for you it was just I have sexual feelings. That, that yeah. was the thing that felt so shameful to, yeah. that you'd have to actually have this conversation or have this big reveal. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't feel like I went through kind of, I think maybe at times I went through reveal processes, but I think it was like I would still kind of more naturally um, tease it out of myself and express it and, you know, find ways to be physical and stuff at times without having to have some huge conversation or demonstrate that I felt attraction. But, and as I said, I think my internal experience, like the way I'm talking about it now, probably doesn't always match up with other people's experiences of me because it was different, but that's what it felt like inside. It was just like, oh, God, you know. So, the fear. Um, yeah, the, lots of fear, I think, lots of fear. Um, and, yeah, mixed amounts of shame. Um, and it's funny, like when I look back on my relationships in my late teens and early 20s, like, by, by 18, 19, or even 17, like I, I was in relationships that had a fair bit of like space and permission for experimentation for, you know, different versions of sex and for a fair bit of communication. And so, you know, I think in relation to your podcast in particular, where you're often talking about dating, it feels super relevant to me because for me, that was outside of the paradigm of what I would call like safe committed relationship where we had a mutual understanding of one another. And so I still haven't really had that experience of like, dating for a long time and doing heaps of dating because you know I've, I've managed this and there's parts of that that I don't find that attractive but there are parts that are really fun and playful as well that you know I'm going to keep moving towards accessing more of it's kind of legit what you say that uh, dating is really fucking scary especially when you're doing things like online dating where you may not know mm. the person you know I know people that literally will not do that They've chosen to only date friends or they've chosen to let a relationship evolve in a very very drawn out way because that's what they need to feel safe for a whole load of reasons bad experiences just that it feels really emotionally unsafe like you're saying like sometimes that feels like a legit choice too oh absolutely i think for sure and you know i think the modern world for me in the west like in the western countries just have we have a very warped view of what human connection looks like at times i think and there's you know there's no real commitment there's no prior agreements of like we're going to take care of each other it's just every person out for themselves you know like yeah and it's tough in that way like even for myself I find like the level of um like the lack of time and commitment that even I at times commit to a dating app means that I'm just actually not going to show up in the ways that I value sometimes because it's like I don't know you from a bar of soap we shared three messages and it's like yeah sometimes you won't get told that I'm not going to message you anymore because it's just, you know, we haven't made that agreement. But it it means that there's a lot of rawness there for human beings, I think, you know, like mm. that are engaging in those spaces. We And there's not much acknowledgement of that, I don't think, that we're going through that level of like potential turmoil, you know, when we choose that. So. so when you're like talking about when you were dating people and there was a lot more going on under the surface that other, other people couldn't see, like I'm kind of picturing every time we interact with someone online or a stranger that we've just met out, like imagine the amount of not seeing that's going on there in terms of what's going on for the other person because we'd have so much less information, right? Totally, absolutely. 
Yeah. So all sorts of stuff going on, all sorts of fear and shame and uh, mental processes and all this all this shit that they're managing, but we have no idea because they're just a face and a few lines of text or mm, whatever. Exactly. And and our, our abilities to really open up and be vulnerable, you know, once again we're living in a culture that teaches us that invulnerability is how we keep ourselves safe, which is just absolutely untrue. <laughs> you know, if we're going to take care of each other, we have to be vulnerable. So, it's yeah, the only it's, way. yeah, it's the only way. So. But this is a hard lesson to learn and I, this is, might be a good time to talk about gender stuff because I, I relate really hard to some of the things you're saying. Like I've always been the kind of person where like my identity is really tied up with being a nice person. I'm a nice person. Like everyone should like me because I'm nice and it's really hard to let go of that to the point where if I think I've acted like an asshole, the shame is just overwhelming. It's mm. really bad. Mm. Um, so I guess I'd kind of like to acknowledge that maybe um, the – the nice guy stuff may, in fact, for some people, not be guy stuff. It may be girl stuff, or it may be person stuff. Um, that maybe that in some ways, we there are many of us that might be struggling with, um, you know, fear of offending or fear of hurting other people, to the point where we can't express our needs at all. Which was where I was at in my twenties. Couldn't even have an opinion. Mm, um, mm. Right. On the other hand, I also I'm hearing some stuff that's quite that to you is quite. Um, tied up with your experience of masculinity and I feel like it's kind of important to acknowledge that too yeah absolutely and so I think you know you're totally right there like there's aspects of this that um, are really relevant to all people because sexuality has been shamed across the board no one I don't think anyone really gets out free with that if they've lived in the external kind of societal world right um and in my personal experience, my narrative around the nice guy has got a lot to do to my re- with my reaction to men's history and men's culture today, you know. And there's times where I've really moved into like a fair bit of gender fluidity because I just struggle to identify like with where we've been and where we're going and who we are as men. And it's like, oh, God, is it? And the reason that I can't, part of the reason that I keep choosing, yes, I'm a man in some ways is actually as a way for me to stay within the culture and and create change from within, you know, because otherwise there's times where I'm just like, no, I'm going to tap out. I'm not a man. Like I'm someone else, you know, it's too hard. It's too much. I don't want to be affiliated actually. Like, and I was even in like in that process with my work where I was like, fuck, I want to work with women. Screw this. I'm going to work with women. Like, and it got to the point where I was like, no, Jordan, like if you're going to abandon men, then who's going to stand by them? Like if you as a man who knows these things and has experienced them is going to abandon them, then what hope do we have? And so that's where it's really led me to be like, no, I'm a men's coach. Like, and that's the work I do now, you know, because we need it. Like it's essential. Yeah. I feel that really hard. And just like, you know, I don't like it when anyone gets left out of the conversation. So if I feel like, if I feel like there are people who need help that aren't getting it, then I'm going to want to move into that space. And I kind of feel like sometimes this is the case with blokes, particularly straight blokes, like, uh, you know, you want to learn to be a bit more emotionally aware and to relate to women better or you want to learn how to do consent really well. Good luck finding uh, a source of information that is specifically tailored to meet you where you're at. Mm. Like it can be really hard to find a place that's, uh, and, you know, this goes for a lot of marginalised people, right, Um, but I kind of feel like it's good sometimes to speak to that experience and that masculine experience yeah specifically because i know that there are some guys out there that are going through i have gone through what you're talking about Mm. and you know some of them are friends of mine and they're beautiful people Um, yeah but we need to hear this we need to hear they need to hear that they're not alone in what you've gone through you know absolutely yeah absolutely so what did that uh what did that process look like of kind of shifting that narrative that you just could not uh express yourself without fear Mm. Yeah, so like a little bit of backstory on my journey. Um, I was in like a string of pretty serious committed relationships, probably three of them from about 16 to 22. So I had about six years there with little gaps in between at times and stuff or a few months. Um, But that was the kind of paradigm of my early experiences of relationship and sex within those places. And at around 22, I, I left a relationship of four years and I went traveling overseas. I moved from Townsville where I'd been for a year, came south. Like I just went through this whole kind of personal transformation process where it was like deconstruct everything and we're going to start from the ground up again. And I had like five or six months where I just didn't have sex and wasn't relating with anyone really. I was just really in this solo space. 
And then I, um, yeah, I feel like I really grew through that time. And then I was going to festivals and stuff. I was doing a lot of dance, which was really starting to open me up. Um, and I met someone at a festival and my mum was there with me actually at this festival, oh, which bless. was super cool. I what dragged her up to this doof because she's a legend. <laughs> and I met this woman and at the end of the festival, like we had a bit of time together and I was like, oh, man, I'm really like, I really like this woman. Like she's gorgeous. She's turning me on. I'm like, I'm feeling myself leaning into her. And I had this experience of like, whoa, here it all is again. Like I've grown heaps and here it all is again. Like I it's don't feel comfy to... You know, and so I, I hit that again in a way and it was like my mum and I have had a really amazing kind of relationship over the years of reflection and, and pulling our own learnings apart and stuff. So it's been an amazing support space. And I touched in with her that night before kind of disappearing for the evening and we just had a really brief conversation and, and she was tracking some of this with me around like my relationship with these things. And I can't remember what the language was exactly, but it was kind of like, she reminded me and I made a commitment to myself. She, you know, we were like, stand up straight tonight, like stand up straight mm. and believe that you're, you know, believe that you're worth it, that, that this is great and that this is what you want and communicate that in your body language, in your words. And so in that moment, I was just kind of like, all right, I'm going to do it differently tonight. Like I'm just going to really, and it, it was amazing. Like I did, and it wasn't radically different. It was just, a bit of a different experience for myself and we had a beautiful evening of like yeah sexual interaction and stuff and a fair bit of nervousness and quick paced and then slowing down and it was one of the first experiences I think um for both of us of like real conscious kind of connection with one another in a first mm. experience and having space and letting go of the agenda of orgasm at times and coming into more presence with each other and exploration um so, yeah, that was one of my first experiences. And then over the following months, I dove into myself more. I started to really do more personal development stuff. And it came to a head about four months later when I did a men's rights of initiation retreat and, and went through a process of initiating into my manhood, basically, which I'd never mm -hmm. done before. Well, we don't do that in Western society much. We don't we don't talk about masculinity positively often. No. And then we don't give ourselves room, ourselves. We don't give dudes room to... Um, to explore that no exactly and in that in that process it was a three-day really intense expressive retreat um oh like i dropped into so much more awareness you know in the first sharing circle this space is facilitated by women which is a completely different kind of <laughs> conversation in and of itself men's work facilitated by women what's happening but an integral point for me was in the first sharing circle of the event all of the men went around and shared and then the women shared, and as soon as the women shared, my whole body relaxed. I was like, oh, because I didn't trust any of the men in that space yet. I was like, and there was a lot of emotion and expression. I was like, fuck, are they going to just lose it? Like, and as soon as the women spoke, I relaxed. And I discovered over that weekend, I was like, man, I am so much more comfortable being in the feminine parts of myself and with women than I am with men because men are unsafe. And so that's where I really uncovered the nice guy. I was like, it's not safe for me to be a man. It's not safe to yep. me for, for me to be a sexual being in the world. I'm going to hurt people. Okay, and this is, this is where it kind of comes to a head for me when you're talking about this stuff. You're talking about being afraid of yourself and you're talking about being afraid of other men and they seem it seems like the same kind of the same problem. It's exactly maybe? the same problem, yeah. Yeah. It's I'm, a, I'm scared of that out there and I'm scared of it in here too, you know. And so, yeah. you know, like that was – a long-winded story in some ways, but it's the really important foundations, I think, of what happens to us as men in those instances. And so the, you know, the first step for me there was around awareness of what was happening. Um, and in that awareness, I was like, it gave me a chance to reflect and go, well, wait a second, does this really make sense? Is it the you whole know? story? Is it the whole story? Like a lot of it's true, and am I going to really spend my life living from that place, you know? Is it going to work for you? Because it sounds like maybe it wasn't working for no, you. No, it wasn't working at all because I was, I, was I was experiencing, you know, like in the really kind of classical masculine feminine terms and stuff, like there was that aspect of me that really wanted to step up into myself that wasn't there and I was lacking that. But then at the centre of all of those things was also my, like, 
my sexual shame that I just, you know, deeply believed on some level that I was a shameful creature. And there was the unworthiness that I carry, you know, as a human being in the world, um, which is another massive piece of wounding, I think, that's interlaid. And so for me, the, the journey to start changing those things was to realize on a, on a fundamental level that those things weren't, that they weren't complete truths, that they could be changed. And to find a way to realign those things inside myself and to actually start doing things differently. Um, and so that's where, you know, this conversation is like, what are all the different things? Where's the other information that I need to find and how, how do I look at this from other angles as well? Mm. Yeah, mm. man. I'm kind of like um, thinking like, you know, we, we kind of talk about like um, submission and aggress- aggression as a spectrum, how aggression at one end is just continuously pushing to get your own way and how submission at the other end is just letting other people get their own way all the time. Um, and when I did some um, counselling training many, many years ago, it was just gently pointed out to us that uh, when we're super submissive, we're actually not only is it bad for us, it's actually bad for the people around us as well. Like we think we're doing everyone around us a favour by suppressing all our needs, but actually we're doing them a disservice. It Was that a reframe that ever kind of landed for you around suppressing your sexuality? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, the, the opportunities that that creates for resentment to be built inside of relationship and in the world, like, is just huge. Like, you know, and, and so... What we need, you know, you mentioned around like some of the people pleasers stuff earlier in in this podcast and like what that brought up for me immediately was because I've experienced that too. I love making people happy. I love making my bosses happy. I love making my partners happy. Yeah, I'm like (laughs) if I can can serve you in a way and make you happy, I feel full inside. And part of that comes from please, please show me that I'm worthy of your love. Oh, my God, it really does. But that's not necessarily a good place to start from when we're doing good things to other people. If no. the reason if the reason we're trying to help other people or be good to other people is so we can just get an ego boost for ourselves or fill up a hole in ourselves, it's not about doing nice things for other people. It's not about the other person. It's just about what we need anyway. Exactly. You know what I mean? And it's it's that's the crazy thing about these processes is we end up thinking that we're really aware other focused people but on some level in one aspect in one column we're actually deeply self-centered creatures then right where it's like all about me and my experience of like why can't you just prove that i'm this and why can't you just acknowledge me and and so part of the opportunity for change there for me is like cool that's one way of doing life what's the other side and so one way of practicing something else that feels really uncomfy is like yeah i'm gonna piss people off sometimes like and when you mentioned that, I'm like, I've gone through periods in my life where I pu- purposely put myself in situations where I'm like, I didn't make you happy and this is deeply uncomfortable for me and you're not helping me make that any more okay and it's exactly <laughs> where I need to be. Like, oh. you know. Even you saying that makes me like my insides all like squish up. I'm like, oh, pissing people off. It feels so bad. Totally, so bad. totally. Just, right? But you're right, sitting, that, sitting with that uncomfortableness or finding a purpose in being okay with not everyone just thinking we're amazing and pouring that validation on us and that reassurance mm. because that's a very needy place to be. It is. And, it, yeah. and it's a dangerous place to be because as soon as someone decides they're upset with us, we're just cast adrift, you know. Yeah, and and I've, I've continued to uncover that and discover that in myself where I'm like where is my sense of worthiness attached to all of these other things, you know, and so – at times when my partner says, like when, when she, she doesn't prioritise like an arrival time with me or quality time with me or something, it's like it's not – in the past it's not just been, oh, that sucks, like you weren't on time or, oh, that sucks, our time got changed. It was like, oh, you're saying that I'm not worthy of our time. Like, and so the, the entire core of who I am as a human being gets shaken and that is an entirely <laughs> – terrible place to live as as a human being is like of course it can be hurtful of course it can be painful but at no point in time should that action shake my internal belief that I'm worthy and that I'm okay in the world like that's not an effective way of living to have those two things to connect with it doesn't work well but sometimes we do we tell ourselves these stories or we turn a particular thing into a big story about ourselves because, of course, we're the centre of our own universes, right? So, yeah, my partner cancelled on me and it didn't, doesn't mean that something just came up. It means that 
you know, those suspicions we had that they don't really like us is right and the whole thing's going to fall apart, our relationship's going to end and we're worthless and no one's ever going to love us. Like it turns into this giant thing that is is the story we've made for ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like just mentioning in this space like, you know, there's heaps of steps and I think we're going to keep talking about them but I want to say to people like life is a workshop. Um Life is a workshop if you want it to be. And if you're trying to learn something, you need to acknowledge that you're in a learning space then and that you don't have it all sorted yet. And so a way of doing that is to set up a practice framework in your mind for yourself. And you can do that and say for the next month, I'm going to practice being really selfish and focusing on my own needs. And it's going to feel really weird and it's going to be messy and that's okay And I'm going to the other extreme to try and learn some of what I've not practiced at all. And then after a month, I'll review. And if I'm ready, I'll come back to some more equilibrium and see how it's affected me. Or I'll stay in the extreme for a bit to keep practicing it, you know. We're not talking about doing a giant flip-flop from being a nice guy to suddenly being like a, you know, assaulting someone or doing terrible things just to see what they feel like. You're talking about pushing into an uncomfortable area, right? So exactly. it's totally it's totally possible to push into an area that feels uncomfortable where you're being a bit more assertive than you're used to or setting some boundaries or just saying no to people. Um, we don't have to, you know, not that kind of fear that if you unleash the beast, suddenly you'll be a terrible person. I just I don't think that's how it works, that we're allowed to be slightly less nice and we won't suddenly turn into mass murderers overnight. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I think the, the reality is, at least with a lot of people I experience, and myself is that like our idea of what's swinging to the other end of the spectrum is is very different to a lot of other people's because we're so far at the other one already so as far as we can perceive is still not nearly as far as other people could potentially go you know and so it's like we have no concept in some ways of like how much of an asshole we could be if we really wanted to be a terrible person in the world you know like (laughs) And that's because not just doing a little one is so painful. <laughs> exactly. That's right. It's like, oh, my God, this is so uncomfortable. I'm just not thinking about anyone else's needs right now. I must be such an arsehole. And everyone else is walking around being like, oh, okay, they've changed a bit and they're looking after themselves. That's cool. Like, <laughs> you know, it's nonchalant. Like, they're indifferent to it in some ways. You know what really helped fix this for me? Two things. One, masochism and two, CrossFit, which are practically the same things. So when I was younger, I got into the kink scene and I discovered this whole process of pushing yourself, but not pushing yourself as in going and doing crazy shit and just getting completely wrecked, but being like, hey, do you want to try this thing? Oh, I don't know. It makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable, but I think it might be interesting. I might learn something. And then very deliberately trying a small thing that feels a bit uncomfortable or feels a bit scary and then analyzing it. And so yeah. that's what sort of introduced to me as a self-development process via getting you know whipped which was great fun but then also I became a CrossFit instructor a number of years ago Um, and part of the the joy of exercise is kind of like working yourself into a place where you're a little uncomfortable and my coach used to say getting comfortable with being uncomfortable was the main skill in in CrossFit and working out and it's kind of like learning to enjoy that time where you're trying something that's a bit outside of what you'd consider to be your normal behavior or trying something that you think is going to be a bit challenging and starting to really get off on that kind of feeling of being a little edgy, just pushing into those personal development areas that are uncomfortable and getting that mental discomfort. That's the sign of your brain making new connections, you know, the same as doing hard exercise and pushing into that area where you're starting to feel like it's challenging is really good for your body. Yeah, totally. For me, for me, this like this is where it starts to become really gendered for me because um, I have to acknowledge that inside of my understanding of men's culture and men's experiences and my own, there's a there's a deeply entrenched um, teaching in our society right now for men to be unemotional and unexpressive and disconnected from themselves, to be disconnected from ourselves, and so. When I invite men into that space, I need to hold an understanding that, you know, he is experiencing a huge amount of fear and resistance probably about connecting to himself because it's opposite to everything that he's been taught in the world. And so the first, like the first steps of really becoming okay with the discomfort are like to even just get through the door or, or get willing to like address some of these things Think because it involves it. exactly because it involves so much like 
opening up and looking in that has just often never happened in his life up to that point. I mean, we're kind of talking about a culture that's told dudes that having a feeling is like effeminate. Yeah, exactly. That, which is so fucking weird. It's like we all have brains. Of course we're all going to have feelings. What a, like, what a shit trick to tell dudes that having a feeling is girly. It's like telling dudes that if they have two legs, they're a pussy. Like, it's like, how can we, this is just the way that we are. Like, why would you, you know, why would you pull that on someone? It's an impossible position. To yeah. Be in. Yeah. It's really challenging and it makes it, 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 it makes it <laughs> feel really unsafe in starting to, in starting to do personal development for men, I think. And it means that some of the initial steps are a mixture of like somehow finding a way to punch through that resistance and lack of safety and also simultaneously actually learn some of the like communication, self-awareness, self-feeling tools that is going to set them up to have some language, to have some connection and awareness of how to keep holding this in themselves. And on the other hand, I kind of feel like although it's a it's a big, big job to um, get stuck into this stuff for a lot of people, there's also some really big reasons why uh, why you might want to start. Like you've really described a lot of suffering in the stuff that you went through. It sounds like maybe you're not alone in that. There might be some really, really good reasons why you want to leave behind that whole nice guy kind of thing. Totally. I think right now, you know, for myself, what I've moved through and, and what I'm seeing men sit in at the moment is um, a deep a deep questioning and unhappiness in their understanding and experience of themselves. It's like I'm I'm wandering around the world and I feel uncertain about my connection to myself, about my direction in my life and what I'm doing. I feel like I feel lost in my relationship with my partner or lost in dating where I'm struggling to like, I just don't get what I want. I'm not that connected. I feel like we're not having the sex I want. I feel like things are, are kind of turning down in the intensity. There used to be aliveness at times in my younger parts of my life and now it's just everything's becoming a bit numbed out. I can't feel properly. I'm like I'm feeling lost and the list just goes on of like all of these byproducts and for me, a big piece of the answer to that is about like living from a place of authenticity and like deep self-connection of like who am I as a man who am I as a person in this world am I accepting of that first in myself am I expressing that in the world and in my relationships and what do I need to do to be able to line all those things up so I can start communicating them expressing them being alive in them being connected through them rather than dulling down parts of myself because I think that's how I need to live as a man and because I think I need to take care of everyone and not be too much and not hurt people and it's like yeah it's all costing it's costing hugely and it costs from general sense of fulfillment into relationships to all the way up to like male suicide and mental health you know I think yeah. so yeah and it's more than just about sex it's about everything um, and then also kind of acknowledging that that our sex lives are like a really big part to unpack there because there'll also be a lot of extra um, stuff and shit that comes along with that too. It might it might sometimes be the scariest bit to unpack that maybe you could go to your mates and be like, yeah, man, I'm totally like, you know, I'm going to do my, um, you know, personal journey this year and work out what I want from life and that sort of thing and that's a great conversation but maybe it's harder to go with them and go, yeah, man, I'm going to unpack all this shit around sex that I've been carrying for years because I've decided it's not working yeah. for me. That's a tough conversation. It's a really tough conversation. And it, it, once again, to even start doing that requires a man to break all of the frameworks of what he understands around being social with other men, you know. So, right. What appropriate yeah. masculine behaviour Exactly. Is. And so it's, yeah. it, it, it paints the picture of this experience of isolation, you know, like a, a, a nice guy, a man who's trying to be this, is very isolated in himself and he's trying to manage everything in the world around him to make sure that it all stays okay and everything's on the edge of not being okay. Oh, it sounds so tiring. Yeah, I think so. And, of course, this is a, you know, this isn't going to be everyone. Not everyone that's listening to this is going to relate to this stuff. Like there may you may have really amazing support networks. You have, may have awesome straight um, friends that listen to you. you may not in fact be straight or you might be a little bit like hey I'm a bit of a dude and a bit of a chick and a bit of in between or whatever so it's not everyone's experience but I feel like for the people that do wrestle with this stuff it's, it's kind of sounds overwhelming 
Yeah, I think so. I think it absolutely is. I have a question for you, mm. but it's it's a really hard one. Um, maybe I'll ask it and then you can tell me uh, how you'd attack this and what you think because yeah, it's pretty awesome. full on. Cool. So when I started listening to you on Instagram and you're starting to talk about the nice guy stuff, obviously I thought about the stereotypes. So the, you know, the nice guy syndrome where um, a, usually a straight bloke will be super nice to um, people of the opposite sex and then in the hope that they'll end up being able to date someone or get affection or get attention from women and then when that doesn't happen they feel really ripped off and angry um, because, you know, they feel that it should have happened because they're nice, people should want to date them or should want to hang out with them because they've ticked all these nice guy boxes. And I understand that bringing this up is going to be kind of maybe kind of triggering for everyone. It's going to be triggering for women, straight women who've had dudes blow up, blow up at them, right? And it may also be kind of triggering, you know, for you or for blokes that are listening uh, because it is a stereotype, like it's sort of feeding into that idea that dudes are just massive a-holes. Mm. Um, but uh, listening to you, I'm wondering if maybe there's a bit more to the story, if like there is, is there overlap? Does the Venn diagram overlap between, you know, entitled nice guy a-hole behaviour and also maybe some of this like tremendous fear and insecurity and, um, and you know, being afraid? Uh, like what, what's your take on this? I know this is a tricky one. I'm sorry. You no, you're right. It's it's awesome. I love the hard questions. Um, I want to start Lucky. off as well by acknowledging that I reckon um, there's a bunch of individuals who might appear feminine, who might be lesbian, who might be women, who may not be women, who might be bisexual, who have experienced like the nice guy and totally. aren't even interested in the first place, but are being a good, like being a decent human being and interacting and then cop the flack, you know? So Such a good point. It's like I think everyone's, I think almost everyone's experienced the nice guy, you know, except for probably other men, um, unfortunately, because I think other men are the ones who need to hold them to account. But, yeah, I think there's, I think there definitely is overlap. Um, it's funny. I, I mean, I reckon the clearest depiction I've seen of that kind of personality is in like Hollywood films, you know, because mm -hmm. of the reality of the people that I choose to be around and the circles I mix in, I just haven't come into contact with those kinds of people much in my life. Um, I think, you know, I think there is a real mix in there of like entitlement. It's the entitlement's really obvious. It's really obvious because they think they have a right to someone else's everything in some ways you know like that they've done a certain level of service and the other person's choice doesn't matter um that lack of empathy asshole behavior we were talking about earlier so sometimes it's just about i want i want my own way and no one's ever told me i should be thinking about how other people actually feel or i've exactly. got no comprehension of that yeah totally and, and there are assholes everywhere just to be clear when we're talking about dudes being assholes I firmly believe we have assholes of all genders and that maybe that expression, that it comes out in different ways and different situations, but that kind of like, yeah, narcissistic a-hole behaviour stuff, sure, that's out there. And I, I guess maybe I'm more curious about where there might be a bit bit more going on. Mm, mm, exactly. And, you know, like we're both throwing this kind of word asshole around, like it's become the identifying <laughs> feature at this point in right. time. And it's like, you know, if you're a person that's, um, enacted some of the things we're talking about and we're calling oh, you an asshole in this moment, you know, like exactly, then I think my my sensing without knowing each individual fully, my mm -hmm. sensing of that person is that once again they are someone who, and, and they're really, my sense is they're a long way from knowing this in themselves, but I think that they're someone who is quite, like unsafe in themselves in their deeper yep. connection to themselves they're not connected to their their kind of deeper authenticity they don't feel that comfy being kind of an un i don't know what the word is an unaffected version of themselves like to just stand in a room and be like oh this is me like what yep. is it like for me to just be here for a moment rather than do all of these things for other people and seek all of these things out like it's a safety move same as you were talking yeah. about hiding your shit some people's idea of being safe is to to push shit on other people and yeah. to to be pushy or to be you know to have these other behaviors that help yeah. them feel like they're in control when they're yeah. scared and it's like how much room is that person leaving for them to actually just be themselves and connect with an under, another individual free of like 
what they're going to get from that experience or something, you know, like mm. they're spending all of this time, like doing all of this stuff so that they can get something in return. And it's so transactional. It's like relating is so much more than that. And I think that person's ability to settle into that process is, is really challenged. Um, yeah, I think, I think that the individuals who are acting like that are living in a lot of unawareness and, mm-hmm. My belief, like I don't think many or any of them would ever listen to this podcast, for example. Like people might have been that person from time to time, but someone that's really living deeply in that pattern, I don't believe they'll be seeking to develop themselves very much because they're unaware of what they're doing and they think everything else is out there. And for me, I, I, can't, I can't really work with that individual yet because they're never going to show up inside of my program or my session space or my workshop but the way as a community that we can start working with them is empowering and educating all of the other people that are interested so that when that happens in a bar, when that happens in a social circle, people are clear enough and confident enough in themselves that they're like, hey, that's not okay. Sorry. Yeah. You yeah. need to keep moving on because that's not cool here. And giving people that moment of shit, maybe it isn't okay. Exactly. the first step. Yeah. And that is like as other human beings in community, that's our, op- that's our opportunity to empower that person, our opportunity to really care for that person by holding them accountable, by continuing to offer them the reflections of like, hey, like you need to look within here, you need to look in the mirror for a moment actually and like check out what's going on, you know, because it's not okay. And this is being assertive, which is totally not the thing we were talking about earlier, right, being afraid to say anything to people in case they're annoyed or upset or offended. This is literally doing the thing that you were talking about and actually going, hey, not cool, mate, and then acknowledging that it's going to feel uncomfortable because you've made someone upset. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really important, you know, like it's another big conversation, but just to mention it's really important that it's, you know, men need to start doing this because guys hear it a lot, like the nice guy that's in that passive-aggressive false service syndrome hear it from women constantly when they're like hey you don't get anything from me just because you've buzzed around for five minutes trying to hit on me and like love me up like you don't get anything and they're like oh fucking women like it's always women rejecting me and saying no and men's culture is set up when that kind of individual actually just doesn't respect a woman's voice and so he needs to hear men's voices first for a while saying dude that is not okay hey, I'm another man and that is not okay. And it would take him however many times, months, years before he would realise, I think. And then after that step, he might start actually hearing women's voices too. But that's the importance of men's culture starting to develop is that other men stand up and say this isn't okay. Because we've been set up to think it's an us versus them, yeah. um, especially for straight people. Like, you know, women are another species and, like, or it's us dudes against the the other people. Like, and, yeah, you, that, you can't really have a good conversation with someone until that particular, like, thing has gone. So, yeah. Totally. Also, I think that it's our job, if we're good friends, to tell our friends when they're being assholes. Like, it's a service that we perform for our mates when we see them doing something uh, d- dumb that's going to hurt themselves we, when we see them doing something a-holy that's going to hurt other people. It's kind of our job to to speak up. Like that's that's how we look after them, you know. Yeah, absolutely. But it's also kind of interesting to contemplate that maybe some of that kind of how dare you unmatch me, I was being really nice to you thing um, could come a little bit from um, but I was doing everything right that I thought a man should do. I was being super nice um, you know, I was I was trying to tick all those nice boxes to feel nice, and now someone's just exploded that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, we're, like we're really starting to gear towards online dating there, and <laughs> I'm a long way from having online dating figured out. Um, it's a minefield. It's a total minefield. And and as a man on online dating, like I'm, and I've gathered some pretty useful information in the last year or two around the algorithms and the way that those apps work um, and the clear difference between if my girlfriend jumped on an app and I jumped on an app at the same time, yeah. how different our matches would be even if we were largely inactive within a week, for example. Like mm-hmm. it would be likely that there would be hundreds in difference. And so it just it, like it needs to be held in awareness that, the apps are heavily geared towards giving men and women a really different experience. Totally. You know, or male-appearing people and women-appearing people a different experience. So 
you know, the women, the, the female appearing people are <laughs> set up to be flooded and overwhelmed and the male appearing people are set up to be constantly like chasing and needing and scarce basically. Like, Yeah. And that's perfect, perfect kind of like breeding ground for either that hyper-aggressive pursuing behaviour we were talking about or that kind of hyper-submissive um, nice guy behaviour, anything that people feel is going to get them across the line. You know? Yeah, yeah. And it's set, it's set up, unfortunately, to perpetuate the challenges we're facing because even when a man is really authentic and is really like trying to be genuine and caring and like not overdo it and not underdo it, like just to be himself, he's not necessarily set up to have much more success than when he's doing anything else on online dating, Still I don't tough. think, you know. So it's like yeah. I really, for me, when I'm applying those principles, I'm really applying them to like in the flesh, in real life, in front of another person because there's a lot more chance of like seeing each other for who you are. Online dating, I'm like, yep, bring it to, be your best self. And don't take it personally because it's yep. like <laughs> it's got nothing to do with you most of the time. It's just like right. so messed up the way it is structured that, yeah, good luck, you know. And you're never going to get that feedback that you'll get in person. So if you're being assertive and if you're doing the right stuff, um, you may never get that feedback online that it's being received well, even if things don't turn out because things don't turn out all the time, but we never have that information, whereas at least if it's in person, you get more of a sense of how it's sitting and what the vibe is and that might give you a bit of a hint that you're doing well even if it doesn't end up in a date or whatever, right? Totally. And, you know, there's just there's more opportunity. If you've got someone in person, there's a good chance you've got a fair bit more of their space and time and presence than you do on the end of a phone. Like I can, I can put my phone down in an instant. I can be texting while I'm on the train and then get off the train and be off on my way and you can never hear from me again. Like... If you've got someone in person, there's an ability to actually also get vulnerable and ask them or tell them different things without the ability to just completely disappear in an instant, you know, like they could go still, but it's like you've got some more feedback, as you say. So it, considering taking what you've said into consideration about that in-person interaction is going to work better for this stuff, on a really practical level, if someone was struggling with expressing themselves and being really authentic around their sexuality or just being really authentic around themselves for fear of judgment what you know what are the, what does that look like what do those first little steps look like into actually showing up themselves when they're interacting with someone like maybe that they're attracted to yeah absolutely so depending on where you're at like I would actually encourage if you're really feeling like paralyzed by this and it's really, really hard and scary to do this in front of someone that you're attracted to, I would encourage you to find a practice ground that is outside of the sexual and intimate relationship sphere because it's loaded, you know, and the workshops I often teach are taught outside of attraction. So we're, we're practicing yeah. embodiment tools, we're practicing communication tools with random people. Because it's like I feel more freed up to have a go when it's not someone that I'm trying to like hook up with afterwards because there's a lot of pressure there. Mm -hmm. And so it's like find a friend if you need to employ a practitioner, if you need to whatever, find a practice space where you have permission to practice your communication actually is a big piece. And then there's plenty of other spaces. There's workshop spaces, there's dance spaces, there's um, personal development programs that can start to get you in contact more with yourself. And so my encouragement is to start to really understand who you are, like feel yourself, what are my desires, what are my thoughts, what are my fantasies, and get them out of you a bit more. So get them out on a page, get them out with friends, get them out spoken out loud to yourself in a room alone, whatever it is. Therapist. Exactly, yeah. As yeah. soon as we start to bring them into the world in any way, even if it's not in front of other humans, they start to have a little bit more realness to them and we start to experience a bit more of like a freed up quality in ourselves of like, oh, I'm not carrying all of this just inside myself, like I'm expressing a bit of it. So find achievable micro steps to express yourself like on, a, on an authentic level and express the things that you think you're not allowed to. Be responsible for them, like own them. And don't push them onto other people. Don't expect things in return, but find a way to express them. It's a it's a really effective way of liberating yourself and of feeling way more freed up. So, 
So good. And kind of pointing out that sex and dating is literally the scariest place that you can start with this stuff, that it's much safer to start with a friend or start with your therapist and build that little bit of confidence and then find somewhere a little bit harder. So it's sort of getting into that area of uncomfortability again without throwing yourself right in with the sharks straight away. Like I spent years in my workplaces getting more comfortable with requesting leave. Like oh, I hated no. requesting leave, you know. I like, hate requesting leave. <laughs> so I did that for years and that, it's in, it's entirely irrelevant in some ways but it's flexing the same muscle, you know. Like oh. do some bicep curls before trying to climb a mountain, you know, right. on a rock face. Like whatever it is, it might seem completely unrelated but find a way to flex the muscle that feels difficult to flex before entering the space that relies on your ability to flex that muscle like yeah no like get used to feel like fucking it up like it's okay you know i still struggle to let go of that but it's okay like even if that ends in a disaster with this new person you're trying to go on a date on there's going to be others you know like a big issue we have is this attachment and this agenda to like we have to get it right and it has to happen this way perfect yeah let go of that if you can. This is the second part of the masculinity bullshit sandwich, the first part being that you're not even allowed to look at this stuff, but then the second part being if you do actually start to unpack this stuff and get a handle on it, you better darn well get it right the first time. Yeah. If you're going on a personal development journey, you know, you'd better, everything had better be a good outcome, otherwise you're fucking it up or you're stupid. Like, you know what I mean? There's that mm. pressure, but we oh, need to totally. fuck up. It's yeah. got to happen and it's going to happen. Yeah. And it's beautiful. It's like when you fuck up, that's where you're learning. That's where you're actually growing in the ways that you want, you know. Like in the men's work I do, you know, we've got so much logistical stuff we do around the edges of these retreats that I'm a part of and stuff and we're constantly laughing. Like there's always this thing that arises in so many different guys of like, oh, I just really wanted it to be like I really wanted to get it right, you know, whether it's an email or a meeting you're chairing or whatever. I was just really trying to get it right. And everyone laughs because they're like, oh, yeah, I know what that's like. And here we are again trying to do it and we know it's never going to work. So it's like get distance from it, you know, like notice and realize that it's not going to happen and that's okay, you know. And then there's going to be times where you're like, oh, that felt amazing. Like that felt really in inverted commas right, but it was just actually you living in a, you know, in a human process. like It's nice when things suddenly feel like they're falling into place because yeah. of all the work you've done, but that's not going to be the norm. The norm is us fucking up and feeling awkward and learning and going back and fucking up and feeling awkward and then occasionally getting those moments where they're like, oh, my God, this is working for me, mm. that it's not, it's mm. like happiness. You don't land there and stay there. You, um, you definitely go back and forth, right? Totally, totally. And I think, you know, what, you don't need to be disheartened by this idea that like, oh, I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. Like a lot of the discomfort and the pain comes from the idea that you need to not make mistakes. So if you can actually find a way to get okay with making mistakes, it's really possible to enjoy that exploration too, like, and be really human about it and be really connected through it. You know, mistakes breed connection, I think, because it takes us into vulnerability. And Right. And then we have to wrestle with the stuff that we need to wrestle with in order to you know, in order to get all this stuff happening and get all this stuff working. Yeah. 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 This has been such a good chat. Thank you. I actually feel like I've just had an hour of really helpful therapy. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) We just coached ourselves. I didn't deliberately ask you to come on the podcast so you could coach me through my nice guy (laughs) issues. But I really hope that what you've said has um, resonated for some people and I'm really, really sure that it will have. Really sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thanks heaps. No, thank you, Georgie. It's awesome to... um awesome to talk about it before we finish can you let our listeners know where they can find you if they'd like to learn more about your um, sexological body work or your coaching that sort of stuff yeah absolutely so the easiest point of call is probably my website jordanhackett.com um and instagram's a good place facebook's a good place instagram handles the jordan hackett um yeah so in both of those locations you'll find different content of me talking about the work i do and different ways to engage with me and work with me if you're interested in doing that. I also want to mention quickly that I'm in the process of really starting to do some more solid research and connecting in with men and their experiences and how they're viewing their challenges. Um, So if you're listening to this podcast and you're a man and you're perceiving that you've got like challenges in your sexuality and your relationships, then I'd actually just love to hear from you to chat about it without you having to do any work from me. You're helping me out. You're helping other men out by reaching out. So 
send me a message on Instagram, flick me an email. Um, yeah, I'm wanting to gather more men's experiences so that we can really understand each other better. Fantastic. You're a bloody legend. Keep up the good, the good work, man. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope it's been as good for you as it's been for us. If you want to learn more about ethical hookups, why not read my book? Check out artofthehookup.com for more information. Please share this podcast with anyone you think might benefit from hearing this stuff. Spread the word as well as the love, and let's make the world of hookups a better place.